Wolves fans, a new era is here, and perhaps the area has never seen more Wolves hysteria. With that, new voices have been called to break it down. The poet coach and the cool crooner sound bring you X's and O's and insight with soul. Wolves talk for now and later with flavor that lasts. Welcome party people to the coach and the crooner, Timberwolves Podcast. Oh, yeah. What's going on, Coach? Man, what's happening? The crooners in the building, man. I'm Episode two, I'm, I'm season starting Wednesday. Look, I, the smile on my face right now like a Cheshire Kitty, man. All right. Well, dig that. Well, everybody, welcome to episode number two of The Coach and the Crooner. My name is Julius Collins. I am a basketball enthusiast, former writer for The Zone Covers, uh, and uh, longtime Longtime lover of the sport, and I am joined by the one and only Coach Frank Sintwali. What's up, Coach? Man, what's happening? What's happening? It is this time of year for me. It's like it's like Christmas every day. Our high school season starting just around the corner in about a month or so. Here, fall ball started. The Timberwolves start on Wednesday. There's chatter about the Gopher basketball team uh, improving in the Big Ten. Like this, this is this is uh, my time of year, my brother. My time of year. Well, it's a beautiful time of the year. In fact, I think it's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, the leaves are changing. Everybody's getting in the mood. You can smell basketball. Uh, we've just completed the preseason. So before we even go, by the time this drops, it's going to be opening night. That's the idea. We wanted to drop something so so people could have something to chew on uh, mm-hmm. on the very first night, uh, very first day leading up to the first game. So, uh here we are. We're ready to do this thing. And I want to discuss before we get to anything, kind of what you think, your thoughts on the preseason and how uh, things played out. I think that, you know, obviously the, the big, the big one is the fact that, you know, with Kat being ill and not really being able to participate in the preseason and play with Rudy and then Rudy resting a little bit uh, coming off of his Euro ball, uh, Euro basketball stint, not being able to see those two play together more than a few minutes in the last game here on Friday night. Um, but I, I think that the preseason, you know, people have to remember from the coach's perspective, these games are glorified scrimmages. Um, you know, they're, they're, the players don't take them obviously as serious as the regular season. I, I remember, uh, I believe it was Tibbs that used to talk about the progression of things. There's summer league and then it ramps up a little bit more to the preseason and then it ramps up another level to the regular season. And so this preseason, I think that what we saw was how deep the Timberwolves are. You know, we well, talked I would about say that. That, was, that would be my first takeaway because in, especially in those first four games, yeah. there was definitely a talent differential. And it seemed to be even more obvious when starters would go to the bench. Yeah, and and it also I think it already showed Connolly's worth. You know the the talk about <laughs> Luca Garza, you know, picking up the two way contract and and the way that he played, and Chris Finch mentioning him being a great find by the organization. And did you, you say know, Luca Doncic? I wish I wish we found Luca Doncic. I mean Luca, Luca Garza. <laughs> oh, is that, I, I thought say, I what? said Garza. Did I say my brain said Garza? <laughs> did my mom like, say Doncic? Luca Doncic, because oh. I'm in. Oh, see, I'm too excited for the season already. Luca Garza, but, yes. But Luca, but Luca Garza is a—it's a, another win around the margins. It's another indicator that that Dowling really knows what he's doing in terms of building a roster from from like seven down to fifteen. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's that that because historically, pre- historically, Timberwolves after you get past seven or eight, it it looks pretty bleak. Yeah, and and that's I think what you already see is the difference in this front office and in this team is just you know the depth when other guys are throwing out guys that you know are are never played in the league or fringe G league players, the Timberwolves are throwing out, you know, somebody like Ellerby who, you know, played 50 games with Portland last year as a two-way player. So, um, and it showed in the preseason, they, they were pretty dominant um, with bench players. Uh, Obviously the one game they, they did lose playing against Brooklyn, Um, you know, Kyrie and, and KD looked like they were in regular season form and, and, you know, the Timberwolves starting five looked like they were playing together for the first time in a game. But again, I caution I mean, those enough. games are glorified scrimmages. Those are practice sessions with fans and referees. And so I don't think the fans should get, you know, too concerned one way or the other. If it would have went great, I don't think people should have gotten too high. And the fact that, you know, there's obviously some things that they have to work through. I don't think people should be too concerned. Um, Kyle Anderson, you know, showed why they brought him up. I mean, guys did what we expect them to do, so to speak. And I think that's the best thing about the preseason. We expected Jalen Noel to take that role by the horns. And Jalen Noel played like his hair was on fire. He played like he knew what his job was. and He was out there balling, man. And, you know, Kyle Anderson did what we expected him to do. Nas Reed, I, who a lot of people are down on, you know, or were down on, you know, and all of a sudden people are like, well, wait a minute, they got to find room for Nas Reed. I think people forget. Well, Nas he, Nas definitely didn't make things interesting. He definitely didn't make things interesting. And I think he made things interesting with his rebounding almost as much as anything. There seemed to, I mean, I, I, I don't know where I saw this, some presser somewhere where he indicated that he's not just focusing on blocking out, but he's actually focusing on blocking out and going to get the rock ball. Yeah. That seemed weird, but I guess, I, <laughs> I guess you can go, I, I got box A checked and never occurred to you to go get the ball, but Whatever it is that's clicking his head, it seems to be working for him. So I, I gotta believe they're not gonna be quick to get rid of the, that guy, that talent on that contract, are they? No, and he's so young. I mean, he's 22. People talk about him sometimes like he's a finished product. He gets a lot of criticism. I'm like, we again, I've said this before. We have got to hold off on the criticism of 20 and 21 and 22 year old players. Um, but you know, from a from a from a player perspective. Uh, to talk about what you just said about him saying, you know, now I'm boxing, I'm going to get in the ball. One of the things is he played a lot of four during the preseason. So he's not being matched up against behemoths. And when you're trying to box out a guy who's bigger than you, you're not worried about going to get the ball. Your objective objective is to make sure that guy doesn't get the offensive rebound. So it's like, okay, I got to block out my guy. Somebody else has to go get the ball. I think that mentality of, okay, I'm playing against guys my size. Um, then it's, okay, I can block out and go get the ball now. You know, I'm not just shielding somebody else from getting it, but now I can go get it. And I think you're going to see a lot of that uh, filter down with Rudy uh, on the team in general, especially when Rudy's in the game is, you know, guys can go get the ball. They don't have, you know, nobody's playing up as we talked about before. Everybody's playing their position. They're, they're going against guys that are their size. And so you're not just worried about making sure my guy doesn't get it. You just go get it now. So we've talked about, uh, we've kind of started backwards here, which is cool. We we've talked about Nas and we've talked about a little bit about Kyle Anderson and the value that they're going to bring, uh, coming off the bench, and obviously another one of those people is Torian Prince. 
Yes. And uh, Brent Great Forbes has been yes. unconscious this preseason. So uh, it's it. a really interesting collection of talented dudes that are seem to be ready to go. Brent Forbes, I mean, you know, there's another player that I think the Twin Cities market is just really discovering um, how elite he is at his skill set. And, you know, we talked about this again last pod, but, you know, you go back to Michigan State, this dude's a shooter. And, you know, uh, shooters shoot. And that is a mentality that doesn't go away. And he is a professional shooter. And when he came over to this team and people were worried about the loss of Malik Beasley, um, you know, Bryn Forbes has better shot selection. I think better acceptance of his role. You know, he's not trying to be a starter. He's not trying to be a star. Uh, and he's definitely on a better contract. He's on a better contract and he's won a championship before. So he understands the value of doing your role at a high level, starring in your role. Um, you know, and so again, the depth, it's like other teams, you know, the, those guys, they went toe to toe with the Clippers, you know, and, and didn't back down because those guys have played in the league before. We haven't talked much about Jordan McLaughlin. Um, you know, I got to believe he's going to play a valuable role uh, down the road. Uh, and I don't want to use D'Lo not playing well as an example of what could happen, but he just has clearly earned the burn that he's going to get this year. Yeah. And I, and I think that what Finch, I believe, is going to do, and, and I think Austin Rivers alluded to it in his interview when he talked about, you know, guys cheering for the next guy that's in the game is I really do think this team uh, is going to be matchup specific on a lot of nights because there's just not enough minutes to go around, you know? And so there's going to be times where teams want to play small in the backcourt coming off the bench or go with three guard lineups. And you're going to see a lot of Jordan McLaughlin. There's going to be times where teams go a little bit bigger in the backcourt and you're going to see Jalen Noel handling the rock, uh, you know, a lot and handling the rock when Delo's not in the game. And there's going to be times where it's definitely, this is an Austin rivers type game. They got a guy like a Jordan Clarkson, for example, who, you know, is going to be shot happy in Utah. Now that Donovan Mitchell is gone. And, you know, if he by chance stays in, his six man role, I can see if he's starting to get it heated up, I can see that being an Austin Rivers night. Like, okay, Austin, go ahead and put the clamps on him, you know, because I really do believe Chris Finch is going to coach every game to win every game. And the players are going to have to check their egos at the door because there's a lot of guys that bring different things to the table. And it's about the wins this year. You know, I, I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up a very specific quote that Finchie mentioned early on, which is, uh, although I, I get the, I, I get what you're saying about being matchup specific, but he has been very clear about, we're not going to, we're not going to adjust to you. You're going to have to adjust to us, which is a little bit just decided revolutionary in Twin Cities. Yeah. I mean, and, and they have the personnel to do it. And that's the other part of being matchup specific is obviously what he's saying is that we're not going to take Rudy off the floor and go small to match up with you. You're going to have to figure out how to guard Rudy. And I think you saw a little bit of that against Brooklyn when, you know, they put Kevin Durant at the five, I believe, and they just gave the ball to Rudy and he crab dribbled and turned around and dunked on his head, you know? And so, um, and if Rudy can do that, um, which I saw some things in that game where I went, Ooh, I didn't know Rudy had that in his bag. You know, they're going to make teams have to deal with cat and with Rudy. Um, but, in the backcourt areas, the guards and the wings, 
um, that also you're going to have to match up with us to the extent of they have guys that are flat out scorers and they have guys that are strong defenders and they have guys that are ball movers and Finch is going to be able to change the tenor and change the flow of games for how he sees throughout the course of a game needs to be done for his team to win based off personnel. So I think everybody's got to be ready. Um, you know, obviously he's probably going to have core eight guys that you know are going to play, but I would venture to say that one through 11, at least if not one through 12, everybody's got to be ready on any given night. Cause Finch may decide he needs to do something different. I mean, I know it was preseason, but I think he threw a lineup out there at one point in time where I feel like Ant was the biggest man on the floor. Like he just threw yeah, five like yards it. out there for 45 seconds, you know, against the Lakers. Just to, I didn't just like to it, see. but I, I know what he's doing. At least Clippers. I think I know what he's doing. And uh, in that way, I really, I do like it because I think that guy is such an innovative thinker. I think he's, he is he is the guy who said they the players will tell us what we're gonna do. And so he's just kind of throwing it out there and assessing as he's going along, which I just I love that organic organic approach to doing anything um when you can just like step outside of it and and, and honestly look at it and then and then go to work and making it as good as it can be. We yes, talked sir. about uh guys that will be, play major roles coming off the bench and maybe uh, starting occasionally, periodically during the course of the season for whatever reason, whether it be uh, COVID, <laughs> which is something I am uh, recovering from right now, which is why we're doing this not in the same spot. So I appreciate you being flexible, Coach. Um, yes, but sir. Uh, for injury as well, what um, what do you make of the fact that Jalen Noel didn't get the rookie extension, which I think expired today? Um, I didn't know that he was eligible for a rookie extension because he was a second round pick and he signed that. Uh, I don't think he signed technically a rookie contract. Um, so I didn't, uh, I, I didn't I think feel that like he there was were, eligible. Okay, I could be, my, my phraseology could be wrong, but there were, I feel like he had an opportunity to sign something to the clock. I should have, I should have troubleshooted that before we got here. But I guess my only question is that doesn't really affect uh, their level of commitment to him. Maybe they're just, he's just, maybe that's a decision he made that uh, he's going to play. Yeah, I think play he's betting on season. himself. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, on, I think he's on, betting on, on himself. Uh, I think that Jalen Noel is a player that if the Timberwolves are unable to keep him after this year is going to be very highly sought after um, in this league. Um, Jalen Noel can play two positions for you well. Uh, he's a great pick and roll player. He's you know he's a walking bucket, mm -hmm. uh, and and I think he's going to be a very vital part of their success this year. And I do think that they're going to try to keep him as part of their long term future. Obviously, the dominoes kind of you know, begin and end with what they decide to do with Delo and what Delo decides to do um, as the season winds down. But, um, you know, Jalen Noel's looks like he's in great shape. He looks like he's in a great mental place and he looks like he's going to absolutely take advantage of his opportunity that he has this year from the way he's played this preseason. Uh, he looks like he's going to grab the bull by the horns and not let go. And I think that's great for the Wolves. And I also think it's great for Wolves fans because he's fun to watch.
Yeah, so I, yeah. from an entertainment value standpoint, and also I'll be honest, he's gonna you know hold Ant accountable because at the end of the day, if you're looking for scoring from the two guard position, and let's say Ant's not exactly taking the shots that Finch wants him to take, or if Ant's not playing defense the way Finch wants him to play defense, you know, if you put Jalen Noel in that starting lineup with Rudy and Cat and D'Lo and Jaden McDaniels, um, over the course of 36 minutes, there's no doubt in my mind he's giving you 20 to 25 points a game. No, wait a minute. This um, is in so, the event that Ant is injured or sick, or you're saying in the event that Ant is not playing well? No. No, I'm saying I'm saying he 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 he's holding Ant accountable to the extent of Ant has to continue to play well. Ant can't have Ant can't get at any point in time complacent and feel like, you know, well, there's really nobody that there's over there on that bench that can come in and pick up the slack. So, you know, I can I can you know, I can coast. Um can't Ant can't coast. Obviously we don't want Ant to get injured or sick or any of that. But also, Finch can look at Jalen Noel if Ant, you know, jacks up three straight mid-range jump shots, misses all three of them, and then, you know, gets beat on a backdoor cut because he's sleeping on the weak side and Finch wants to send him a message. He can slide, you know, Jalen Noel into that two-guard spot and say, go get me some buckets. All right. All right. Now that we've kind of made our way through what I expect to be a really useful, productive bench mob, Let's let's swing mm-hmm. to the starting starting five and and before we do we're talking about defense. Who's a better defender, D'Lo or Jalen Noel? I'm going to go with D'Lo, uh, and for the simple fact that he has a much better understanding of defensive concepts. He knows what he's doing out there much better, and that's you know, it, let's be honest. Jalen Noel played zone in college, uh, and so you know. The con- and, and he hasn't had nearly as much on-court time in the NBA. And so defensive concepts are something that I think he's still wrapping his head around um, where D'Lo, you know, D'Lo knows what he's doing out there. Now, he might be physically limited at times, but I think D'Lo knows what he's doing defensively almost all of the time. This is a big year for D'Lo. I mean, yes. as things, if things can go, like, fantastically right – or frankly, by midseason, they could be looking to move him. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not Nostradamus, so I'm not going to try and make a prediction on that front. But I, I think if I'm D'Lo, I'm doing my best to facilitate winning more than ever before, and in that way, my numbers won't be as crucial to me getting paid. If his, if he's facilitating and make life easy for the people who need the ball on offense, if he's pick and rolling with Rudy, and and that, and that's a really dominant, effective impression that they have on a nightly basis that travels to other other stadiums if he's a 16 and 9 kind of guy and they're winning uh isn't that best case scenario for him or or is, is does he feel like he needs to be like a a 22 24 and and 5 guy well i hope he feels like you know if he's 16 and 9 and they're winning and if he's 22 and 6 and they're winning He's winning, <laughs> so yeah, okay. I th- so so I think it, it it I don't think it matters either way. I think from my end, what I would like to see D'Lo do is manage games better. I would like to, and this, and I think this is an umbrella that I would place over their whole starting five, especially. But it begins and ends, I think, with D'Lo. Um, 
it's no secret that when Delo's really good, the Timberwolves win. And when Delo's not really good, they struggle. And when Tyron Lou, you know, in the playing game, in the post-game interview, talked about who he was most worried about, it was Delo. And Delo had an outstanding game, and they won. Um, so I, I would like to see Delo manage the game better. And I think, you know, you and I talked about it um, outside of the, the pod, that shot that he took, you know, I think they were on a 5-0 run after being down 13 against Brooklyn in the third quarter. And I believe that 5-0 run was, you know, an and one by either Rudy or Cat. I can't remember which one. And then uh, that thunderous dunk by Rudy over KD's like, you pounded them inside back-to-back possessions. You've been struggling offensively all night. You finally start to get something going. And that just seems something that was repeatable possession after possession after possession. No, I, I asked you. I asked you off mic. I'll go ahead and ask you on mic because now that I know the answer, I still think it's important. Yeah. My concern uh, is: is he wired that way? Because that's just kind of like something that's like he feels a need and uh, just like an impulse to do, or is that a maturity issue? Just someone mature into a winning mindset, where a, a, a winner knows if I take the shot, uh, the percentages of me missing it are high. And not only that, but the percentages, uh, a percentage, the chances that it might like deflate the morale of my team or like create a greater morale for the opposition. Uh, what's going on there? Well, I, it's it's a risk reward thing. Um, I think, you know, no NBA player, especially someone who's played on an all star team and, you know, who is a, you know, top three overall pick in the draft ever takes a shot thinking they're going to miss. Um, and so it's a risk reward thing. And I think that's the maturity piece that we're talking about is I would like to see Delo mature to the point where time and score dictate, let's take the high risk, uh, the high reward opportunity as opposed to the low risk, high reward opportunity. You know, let's, 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 what can they not stop? They can't stop cat. They can't stop Rudy. That's high percentage. This shot is high, you know, high risk, high reward. But really, is it even high reward? You know, at that point in time, down eight, it's really high risk, low reward. Because even if you make that shot, you're still down five. And you still kind of let the nets off the hook in terms of, okay, well, that wasn't really anything that they had to worry about. That was just, okay, Delo made a shot. Versus if you come down and you pound it in the cat or Rudy again and you get another and one or you dunk on their head again, now defensively the Nets have to make adjustments, right? If you if well, not only that, but you, get, you can still get that shot, especially if the ball yeah. goes to one of those two guys first. You're going to get that shot. It's going to it's going to become easier. And listen, uh, you know I'm a little bit of a fraud in this department because I I remember the first time I remember a point guard doing it. And I just kind of got a kick out of it. And that was Kenny Smith when he was at UNC. He come down. And he just pulled that up. And I mean, like, hey, I kind of like this action. But in truth be told, when you're trying to win at this level, I just don't like those sort of things as a rule. Now, I do understand the transition threes is one of those things that can be a backbreaker during the flow of a game. And so you don't want to, like, tell someone, you know, never take that shot. But I, I would like to see his judgment get a little better. Yeah, and that's the variable, right? It, it, there's variables. So – how are you shooting on that particular night? You know, if 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 you're feeling it that particular night, maybe you've made two in a row. It's it, you know, if you're on a six-zero run because you've dropped two threes in a row, yeah, I'm taking that heat check three. 
you know, but if we're on a 5-0 run because our posts are just overwhelming them with sheer size and force and ability, then, you know, make them have to adjust to that. It's, you know, the old football adage of, you know, if they can't stop a play, you just keep running it until, until they make an adjustment and figure out how to stop it. I just think that that's where personally I would like to see D'Lo um, evolve as a game manager, um, which again leads into as a team, I'd like to see the Wolves value possessions throughout the game more. And I really think that starts with your veteran point guard and, you know, not to get too far off track, but Jim Peterson, you know, on the Wolves broadcast used to talk about it a lot last season and in previous seasons is those wasted possessions in the second quarter, you know, those wasted possessions at the end of the first quarter, those wasted possessions early in the third quarter. Now you're in the fourth quarter and you're coming down the stretch and you think back to like, man, this game is tied, but we wasted five possessions with poor decision-making, be it a shot or a high-risk, low-reward pass, you know, in the second or third quarter where if we just capitalize on four of those five possessions instead of a tie game with three minutes to go, we're up eight with three minutes to go. And I just would love to see D'Lo manage games and take that step, regardless of what the stats look like. Um. I have some concerns as it relates to our beloved Anthony Edwards, and I'm going to run them by you, and I want you to give me your feedback, um, whether I'm just being my normal emotional reactionary self or if there's something here um, to be concerned about. And that is um, we, you and I have talked uh, off, off mic about uh, the benefit of having Pat Bev be like that self-starter, that person who brings that early energy in games. Uh, that's going to guard the most difficult uh, offensive player. We've noticed, at least early on, it seems that Ant, Ant wants that challenge. He seems to be the one who's, who is getting that that assignment. Um, but over the course of the preseason, what I you know, couldn't help but noticing is that his offensive production started to go down dramatically. And so my question is, does Ant – uh, being that guy who's going to take that primary defensive assignment on the perimeter in that way. I know he and Jaden are going to share this responsibility, but in the preseason, I saw Ant, just let's just take, you know, the Brooklyn game, for example. He he guarded both KD and Kyrie. And so my mm-hmm. question is, those kind of defensive assignments take energy out of you. And it, it it seemed, and maybe it was just, you know, because it's preseason, he didn't feel like he needed to really, like, emphasize that part of the game. Is that a trouble? Is that a is that is that a possible like problem? I don't think so. I, I if you recall last preseason, Ant didn't score hardly at all, and they asked Carl Anthony Towns about it, and Carl said, "I'm not worried about Ant. He's a walking twenty five a game." Um, I, I do think Ant um, picks certain things that he wants to focus his attention to during the preseason, which I think is very mature. You know, while we talk about this team's maturity, it's almost a veteran take. You know, I also have noticed Ant being really intentional about, you know, pull-up mid-range jump shots uh, this preseason. And so, I, you know, he's 21 years old. And at the end of the day, I think this dude could run up and down and play basketball all day. I I don't worry too much about that. I think the Brooklyn Nets game, the team was, you know, very intentional about – feeding Rudy and trying to working Rudy and Kat and not very intentional about, you know, getting involved, so to speak. 
Um, and I think maybe even Ant could have been, you know, in his, you know, I, I'm guessing it's conjecture. I don't know what was in his head, but, you know, it appeared to me that he was focusing on, okay, let me guard Kyrie. Let me guard KD. Let me, sure. let me. And I love, don't don't get know. me wrong. I love that mentality. That's, you know, that's MJ mentality. My question, you know, but we, MJ seemed to have From plenty of energy. energy to get 30 on the other end. So. Yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. Um, you know, he gets where he wants to go on offense so easily. Um, and I think, you know, there's going to be times where he can definitely pick and choose his spots. Um, so I, I, that's not something that I would be concerned with. And, you know, at the also, you know, for all of the, you know, I don't like doing that. And, you know, I always laugh when people say it. You know, maybe it's a physical likeness thing, but for all the, you know, ant comparison to Michael Jordan, which I think is silly, no. but the bot the bottom line is, if you're even mentioned in the breath with you know, that type of mentality. Um, you got to play both ends. You got to guard the other team's best guards and you still drop your buckets and that's what makes you great. So I, I'm not well, yeah, overly that's concerned gold about it. That's the, my MJ's the gold standard, but Dwayne Wade, you know, you know that dude mm-hmm. found energy on the defensive end uh, and managed to still, you know, get 28 points a game on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, my my fantasy is that Ant becomes that kind of dude. I'm just using these are high end examples, but these are the kind of examples that you use for a dude uh, with Ant's pedigree, with his talent and ability. So I would like to see him grow into some version of a dude who can shut down the other players, or at least like slow down the best offensive player, like a Ja or like a KD or Kyrie, and uh, mm-hmm. and still manage to be, um, you know, have have his his imprint on the offensive game i i i'm not concerned about that with Ant. but what i'm concerned about with ant is being more efficient um and then also not getting lost on off the ball screens if, if in my opinion you know if ant can be more efficient and you know the first couple of preseason games he was extremely efficient and again he he, you know, I think he dialed it back a little bit um, and focused on some defensive things. And I don't think it was an energy thing. I just think that's where his focus was. Um, but I would like to see him, you know, not be caught in trail position as much on off the ball screens. You know, Kyrie got him for a backdoor cut and drew a foul on him. Um, he gets caught trailing a little bit on curl cuts from time to time um, and continue to make those strides off the ball and then just be more efficient offensively because, you know, this team has the ability to score really easily. And so as long as Ant's being efficient with his shots, that just makes him that much more difficult to guard as a team. It means they're valuing possessions again. And if Ant is inefficient and taking a lot of shots, then those are wasted possessions. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that the Wolves have to fight against is wasting possessions against really good teams. I think you can get away with it against the subpar teams because they have so much talent, but the growth, how do you win in the playoffs is you value every possession. And I just think Ant and Jaden's youth, D'Lo and Katz, sometimes questionable decision-making, um, or I, I will not even say that. I will say loose carelessness with the ball sometimes or careless decision-making. Those are not valued possessions, and yeah, I just want to see those guys value like, possessions. Yeah, or just, you know, long outlet passes that are turnovers when there's no reason to do it, especially when you got Cat and Rudy on the floor. Why even bother when you can come up the floor and, you know, right now, you know, and we'll get to Cat, but – 
that dude's going to score so easily from the positions he's playing on the floor. Why waste a possession with a long pass? That's a high-risk pass. So we were talking in our production meeting earlier about the early energy that Pat Bev would provide um, the squad and how there's a lot of laid back energy right now in that starting lineup. So who, what, who, what, what, who is going to be, the, what, what's going to be the impetus to change that kind of energy. And so we were discussing and I just kind of brought up and you said that this is what you had in mind. Uh, Jaden McDaniels being, uh, you know, obviously cat and, and, and D'Lo can get his early offense going, but you mentioned this, and I'm not sure if it was in our pilot or our first pod, and that is Jaden's going to get a lot of that worst defender kind of energy. And can he possibly be the guy or one of those guys who can provide that early kind of offensive energy um, as the team is settling in? Well, you know, when Chris Finch was asked, and I should have done my research, I can't remember which writer asked him, but he was asked who were going to be the energy guys on this team with Pat Bev gone and Vando gone. And he pointed, you know, he pointed out Jaden first and then Ant. Um, and I didn't read as much into it, I think, at the time as I should have. Um, this team does not have, as you just mentioned, uh, attack first mentality uh starters right their whole starting lineup Digo's laid back kind of gets in the flow of thing in a real suave casual way you know and if you're not calling a play directly for him he can kind of drift a little bit um and then you know when Finch mentioned Jaden as an energy guy you know at first glance you don't really think of Jaden as an energy guy right it just seems like he's just effortlessly loping out on the floor and then watching them against Brooklyn I thought to myself like yo how are they going to get jump started without Pat Bev, who, you know, we talked about Pat Bev might have 10 points in the game, but he'd have seven of them in the first five possessions <laughs> of the game. Right. And then he wouldn't shoot again for a quarter and a half, you <laughs> know? Um, and I said to myself, well, Jaden's going to be often guarded by the defender that teams are trying to hide. And it's not even a knock on Jaden. It's just, you know, in the pecking order of the wolves, five players that they're starting, you know, Jaden's probably the fifth option in the pecking order in terms of who's going to create with the ball or who's going to go make plays. And I I think that, you know, maybe what Finch was alluding to is that Jaden's got to get us going, you know, because if Jaden can, you know, score six points in the first five possessions, not only does that kind of jumpstart the offense, um, but I also think it'll jumpstart Jaden. And, you know, as a player, anytime I can get some buckets early, my defense is that much better. And, you know, we know Jay. Especially early in games. Yeah, I'm sorry. Again. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I was going to say, I you know, we know Jaden's. Oh, so we know Jaden's going to be, you know, guarding the other team's best score or on the ball. So, you know, if you can get Jaden to jumpstart the offense and the defense, that can lead to strong first quarters and somebody's got to do it. And so you might be looking at, well, you know, we know cat can go get buckets whenever, but where can we get those points from that source where the other team now has to say, well, dang, we got to guard this guy too. And then the whole team's getting excited because Jaden's getting going and Dio knows what his numbers are going to look like at the end of the day. Ant does cat does, you know? So I, I think, you know, they're, 
best option to get jump started is Jaden. And if he doesn't do it, I don't know where that's going to come from. And, you know, if that doesn't, if they start off slow with some unexpected well, I mean, losses. I, I can see, I mean, I can, yeah, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because, I mean, I can see a scenario where Dilo comes out and gets his offense going, but he does it in such a cool, easy demean- demeanor. Sometimes mm-hmm. it bugs me because I want that intensity. And it's like, it mm-hmm. it's, It reminds me uh, of a pet peeve I have with, with, uh, with drummers. I, I, you know, I hate smiling drummers. It just it pisses me <laughs> off. I can't describe why, except for when I look back at a drummer, I want to know that his life is invested in every single nanosecond that we're moving because everything is predicated on his energy, right? So right. D-Lo's energy is so, like, not laissez-faire, but it, there's just such an easiness it's about casual. it that yeah. if, if, if you're not careful – uh, somebody on the other side with some intense Pat Bev style energy can get up in that ass in a hurry. Next thing you know, we're punching from behind right away, kind of like the Brooklyn game where they mm-hmm. came after them a little bit. And uh, I think our depth helped helped us kind of like, stay in that game a little bit. But I, I, you know, I can see a scenario where D'Lo gets his offense board, but maybe it's just a function of if if Jaden is not that dude, then maybe it's just a function of Ant being uber aggressive at the beginning of, beginning of games offensively and def- defensively and maybe that can that can hold us i really love Jaden. i really and pull him for him this season i think it's a big year for him maybe maybe not as big as Delo, but i think it's a big year for him and uh it's it's a chance for him to really solidify himself in this league for real for years to come i think he seems to be playing with a high level of confidence it would not surprise me to see him be aggressive really early in games, both in running the floor and in attacking out of ball movement. And I think that would be great for this starting lineup for a couple of reasons. One, it would solidify his place in the starting lineup and he doesn't have to worry about, you know, 15 games in is Kyle Anderson going to be the starting small forward. Um, uh, and also, I think it would be great for him because it would just validate all the work that he's put in that not only am I a starter in this league, I'm a high level starter. And Jaden McDaniels as a high level starter makes the Timberwolves that much more formidable. Let's, uh, let's play worst case scenario. And I really don't like doing this as it relates to Jaden, but you, you just mentioned what I imagine would be the switch up. If he starts off in disappointing fashion like he did last year, that would be Kyle Anderson coming in. So what what would be the, the what would be the the what would he do or what would he not do uh, as it were that would contribute to him just like not keeping his spot in the starting lineup? What would be the things that Jaden would get him out of there? Well, I think if he ran into a lot of early foul trouble like he did last season, um, and that started to mess with his head a little bit. Um, because, well, one, you know, one of the reasons Finch moved him to the bench was you don't get in any rhythm when you got two fouls in the first six minutes of the game and you got to go to the bench anyway. Um, so I think, you know, early fouls would be one. But the other thing I don't even think is necessarily a function of Jaden. I think if just the starting lineup as a whole is sluggish and not really moving the ball, um, then that might make Finch make a switch and it might not really even be Jaden's fault, you know, so to speak. It might just be Kyle Anderson kind of gets the ball moving and things flowing a little differently. It would take the ball movement, kind of the, the, the jump starting responsibility away from Deagle a little bit, you know, so 
if they start off really slow, again, they're struggling to win games. The starting lineup is really struggling. Jaden could be playing well, and he still might be the odd man out because really what Finch is saying is that we need somebody other than D'Lo to kind of kickstart us. And so, you know, I again, that's worst-case scenario, you know, like you just mentioned. But those would really be the only two things. I don't think him shooting – bad would be an issue and I don't think he's going to shoot bad I really like the confidence he's shooting with uh, we know he's going to play elite level defense so long as he's on the floor which means he's not fouling so really I think the worst case scenario would be teams like Oklahoma City um, you know and Utah who might be motivated with playing against their ex-teammates jump on them early and they drop a game to Oklahoma City and a game to Utah, not because Jaden's not playing well, but because the starters as a whole just aren't getting off to a start that has any juice, much like they did last season, you know, um, and Finch maybe would make a move. But, you know, I I think fouls is the only thing that would really make Finch, you know, be forced to make a move um, that had anything to do with Jaden's play specifically. I think if he made a move, it would be more related to the whole unit of five, not playing with any juice to start games and not really getting jump started. But, you know, I hate that fouls would be the uh, operative word that would lead us to cat, but let's segue to cat really quickly. And, uh, kind of the talk surrounding him moving to the four. We've done a little bit of this already. It's been discussed probably ad nauseum already, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited to see how this is going to play out. I I can imagine that a lot of the concern about him on the perimeter is a little bit overplayed, although I'm looking to see how that works out. But this is, as far as I'm concerned for Cat, as good of a situation as he's going to find himself in, in this league thoughts. I think Zach's cat is going to have a phenomenal season, um, especially offensively. Um, nobody can guard him out there, you know, and, and that's the two preseason games that he's played. What has stuck out to me is how easily this dude is going to score. And it was, you know, it, it was so clear to me that this is the best offensive player on the Minnesota Timberwolves team and it's not even close um he is gonna be so free to do whatever he wants out there and he can do whatever he wants out there and you know the play that 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 struck me was uh I believe it was the the Clipper game no yeah no he didn't play the Clipper game it was the was the Laker game he was maybe it was the Nets game. He, I'm I'm drawing a blank, but he was being guarded by a guard on the perimeter, and took him off the dribble. Got an and one, and I thought to myself, if guards can't stay with Cat on the perimeter because they have to press up so close to him because of his shooting, nobody has a chance to guard this dude this year. And if you look at his preseason numbers, they are ultra efficient, and he's scoring ultra easy. The only thing I'm concerned about with Cat is he keeps falling. <laughs> so, I mean, literally, like. I've already seen him fall and shake his wrist. I'm like, come on, man, just stop it. Or where the wrist guard, but stop, stop, stop with the awkward falls. It's just weird. And then defensively, you know, it's going to be a work in progress for the whole team. And I know we talked last pod about, you know, how it shouldn't be overly complex for them to switch defenses, um, so to speak. And, And I still don't think over the long haul, it will be, I think there might be some adjustments early, um, just as they get accustomed 
to playing in certain responsibilities, depending on who's on the floor and who's being involved in the action. Um, but I'm still not overly concerned about Cat. It might be a little rough early, but I think that's where the depth is going to come in on that team that maybe the starters don't blow other teams starting units out the water early, but I feel like their bench unit is going to be dominant. And so against some of these quote-unquote lesser teams, I think that'll be the difference as they start to gain their stride as a starting unit defensively. But, you know, Cat being sick, missing a lot of training camp, showing up in the preseason and scoring buckets like he's been playing basketball all summer long. You know, it's like I just think that people are really going to see how elite of an offensive basketball player Kyle Anthony Towns is this year. And I think people are going to be shocked at how easily he scores 25 points every night. Um, before we get into uh, OKC, let's let's finish up with Rudy and your yeah. thoughts on kind of what he's going to bring this season. Your thoughts. Um, I know we touched on this uh, in the first pod, but let's go ahead and do it again. Just kind of your thoughts of how he's going to improve uh, this this team on both sides of the ball, on both sides of the court. Um, go. What do you, what, what's Rudy going to do for this squad? I think we already see it in the preseason in the games that he has played. When you look at the two, three times that players drive into the lane and see Rudy and detour. Um, so, yeah, I think, and, I think, you know, the people measure blocks, but the, the, just the idea of him being a deterrent just in somebody's head is pretty powerful. I think there was one possession where even Kevin Durant saw Rudy and was like, ah, I don't think I'm in position to be aggressive this play. So there's that, the rebounding obviously is going to stand out. You mentioned it last pod, like it was so refreshing to see the other team miss a shot and not even have to guess if we were going to get the rebound or not. And yeah. offensively against Brooklyn, I saw some things that I did not know Rudy had in his bag. I saw him do a nice little spin out for a layup. I, you know, Rudy? Man, look, 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 crab dribble against Kevin Durant. Oh, you're not going to double team me. I'm just going to turn around and dunk on your head then. Um, so the only thing that concerns me right now about Rudy is if they're going to use him the way that it looks like based off of the Brooklyn game, they're going to use him, which is if he's got an advantage, they're going to create opportunities where he catches the ball so close to the basket that it. I think that's key. Maybe. I think yeah. that's key because the further away from the basket, the, the, the more excitement we'll have. And we don't need that kind of excitement. Right, right. And so I think Finch is going to do a really good job of putting him in a position where he catches the ball really close to the basket. And and if you're, you know, he's shown that he's got a couple little moves. But what I'm concerned about is the free throws. You know, if you're going to get the ball that close to the basket, teams are going to follow you. And I think he was four for 10 um, yeah. in, in the Brooklyn game. And, you know, what's his career? It, what's his career free throw percentage? I think his career high in a season is 67%. So I'd have to look up. I don't have the numbers in front of me of what his career free throw percentage so is. But if it's, yeah. You know, if his career high is 67%, it ain't great. <laughs> you know, so. No, but listen, if he's making nearly seven out of 10 free throws, you can live with that yes. uh, because you're not running your offense through him. Although I did, there was one very like, uh, just seductive offensive play, ball movement. Where I, I, I believe it was Cat, um, uh, top of the just off to the break, and he throws it into Rudy, and Rudy throws it to Torian, and Torian 
kicks it to Ant for a wide open three. Uh, I, I, they were like, it was Golden State-esque in terms of evolved movement. Now, I've got to believe that that's a teaching tool. And Finch has five days to kind to kind of make sense of what was, uh, I, I guess, can only be described as a clunky offensive outing against Brooklyn. What is yeah, he I, thinking I think, right now? I think I posted on Twitter. I think the play you're talking about, the ball bounced around to about five different players. I think it was ultimately Cat who hit Ant in the corner for the three, if that's the play that you're you're talking about. There was a couple of them where they moved the ball well. But I think, you know, I, I mentioned on Twitter, if you're, if you're Coach Finch, you basically show that play in film and mm-hmm. you say that's how championship that's teams behavior. play. Right. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then you show them 50 other plays that were the antithesis of that. And then you ask them, OK, so who do you want to be? You know, what type of team do you want to be this team that shows championship level ball movement? Or do you want to be this team that I just showed you 10 clips for every one of those in which, you know, we take an ISO pull up jump shot for no reason with 12 seconds left on the shot clock? You know, um, but I, I just think that. When it's all said and done, if they can have the patience to know that between Cat and Rudy, we have something that teams are really going to struggle to defend. And it might take 19 seconds of utilizing the shot clock of ball movement and player movement to get to the advantage. But if we're just patient, closed circuit Delo, closed circuit Ant, if we're just patient enough, either they're going to get a dunk or a layup, or you're going to get a wide open look that you don't even have to work to create. And that's a function of Rudy's gravity and Cat's dominance on the offensive end. If they allow those two guys to make the game easy for everybody else by being patient, the game's going to be easy. I think it was unfortunate that that Cat had the illness, obviously, that kept him out of practice uh, and out of those first couple uh, preseason games. But I, I, I'd like that Finch has nearly a week to get these guys operating in, in each other's uh, like literal space and headspace. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to me, there's going to be a lot of value in that. I mean, I saw Tori and Prince's interview today saying that they had a really good day of practice. He doesn't strike me as a bullshit uh, artist. So it, I, I did really appreciate that the, they've had time to do that. I know it's going to take a while, but I trust that Finch is all about like demystifying this stuff to where people can operate just uh, without having to think too much on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it all boils back down to the maturity of the players and the decision-making. And if you don't, if you don't mind uh, Mr. Crooner, I just like to just, quickly uh, uh, give the listeners a little bit of an example of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that as a team and this youth and valuing possessions. Um, I just like to go back to to the Clippers game and uh, I'm sorry, not the Clippers, the Lakers game and the Lakers are in the bonus means every time the Wolves foul, they're shooting free throws and the Wolves are up 10 and it's the second quarter. And I made these notes one possession, Ant reaches from behind trying to get a steal on Pat Bev early in the shot clock. There's no reason for it. Pat Bev gets two free throws. The very next possession, Jalen Noel takes his eye off the ball, fumbles the pass out of bound, unforced turnover. Then the very next possession, Jalen Noel reaches in, commits a foul. That's two more free throws for the Lakers. And then two possessions later, 
ant bodies up on LeBron for an easy rip through to draw another foul. And LeBron goes to the free throw line for two more free throws. That's six free throw attempts that the Lakers did not have to work for at all. Now the Wolves are so talented that at the end of that sequence, they had actually with some help from some missed free throws from the Lakers, they had actually advanced their lead from being up 10 to being up 11. That's how talented they are. So imagine what they can do to teams if they play mature basketball and eliminate silly reach-in fouls while the other team is in the bonus, just giving up free throw attempts for your opponent. That, to me, is the difference between this group going deep into the playoffs or not going deep into the playoffs, because I do believe they're going to make the playoffs. So I just wanted to share that with the listeners, because from the coach's perspective, that's the maturity leap that I feel like these guys have to take. You know, I, I just want to briefly get into, I mean, because as we mentioned in our first pod, we're going to be doing this, these pods every 10 days. And so what we're going to essentially be doing is like assessing a stretch of games uh, and giving our, our insights on what kind of what happened or trends that might've occurred over the course of those games. But, but when this pod uh, drops, it's going to be opening night and it's going to be OKC Thunder. And uh, I'm excited to see just kind of how, because you mentioned this in our production meeting earlier, and these, these teams that people think are just going to be tanking early in the year, they're going to be playing for something for sure. So these, a lot of people have just kind of made these kind of blanket statements that it's an easy schedule because you got San Antonio, you got Utah in there, you got OKC a couple of times. And for the most part on paper, that's true. But we know these games aren't giving uh, gimmies. We know that these dudes can play, and and anybody can get hot and give you thirty or forty on on a night in this league. But mm-hmm. I do think the schedule, if they play intelligently, like the way you just mentioned, if, if Chris Finch gives him enough film examples of how that stuff really does cost you games, close games, playoff games, uh, I would like to think that they'll be able to kind of grow into who they're going to be by midseason. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. Um, the, all of these games early are trap games. So how they start, which we talked about, is going to be important. And getting that confidence early, um, not that they can win, because I think they know from last year that this is a team that can win games. But getting that confidence that they can be as good as they think they can be by throttling bad teams early. And I remember Charles Barkley said that he always hated the beginning of the season because the bad teams don't know they're bad yet. (laughs) And and, and that's like, you know, that's so real. Like, you can't tell Oklahoma City, you know, they're hearing all the chat. They're hearing the Minnesota fans talk about this is a – the soft part of their schedule is the beginning of the season. And they're hearing all the national media predict them to win any, anywhere between 25 and 30 games. And they're hearing all the people talking about how they're going to be tanking for Victor W, you know, who's going to bring mm-hmm. W's wherever he goes. Um, <laughs> you like that. But one. yeah, yeah. But, you know, you got, you know, Shea Gillis out of Janzer. They're not tanking because if they were tanking, he wouldn't play opening night after sitting out the whole preseason. He's playing. You know, and Josh Lou Dort doesn't have second. any tank in him. Lou, Lou Dort thinks that he should be mentioned in the upper echelon of players yeah. of two-way players in this league, and he's thinking opening night. I get ant, so I get a chance yeah. to make a statement opening night. You know, Josh Giddy's almost a walking triple double, and he's only in his That's second year, so he's still trying to submit himself. You know, um, 
you know, you got guys like Marquise Chris who want to go at a Carl Anthony Towns. You know, you got, you know, you, you got the rookie, uh, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara who, you know, he, he wants to make an impression. So Oklahoma City's not coming in here ready to roll over. They're young, they're athletic, they're fast. Um, you know, and, 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 and coach Daniel is going to have these guys ready to play. And I, I cringe when I hear the local media and even fans on Twitter talk about how the Timberwolves have a cushy beginning to their schedule because they're playing against professional basketball players who have professional pride and nobody's tanking in the first week of the season. There'll be plenty of times to tank the last 42 games of the season. No team wants to put 82 games of tanking film, um, you know, put tanking on, on film and set that as the culture for whatever top draft choice they bring into their organization next year. So these guys are going to play hard. Well, you know, we should probably wrap here, but I did want to mention our, our third podcast. We had mentioned doing some video. I would love to um, get you breaking down kind of what you've seen over the course of those first few games before we get mm-hmm. back and uh, kind of illustrate it for us. We also hope to have a special guest. I've, uh, I've been hitting up a couple of our uh, very, uh, very famous, very, very amazingly talented, like scribe friends who, who would be willing to come on. And, and uh, I've also talked to some musicians who are, are big sports fans who are going to come on and give us some, some musical talent every now and then musical guests. Nice. Um, nice. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this season. I think this, I like our squad. I think, I think they're going to be serious minded because they have a coach who can really kind of help make that part of their makeup. I'm excited about what they're going to do uh, this season. The West is not going to be easy. So they, you know, frankly, they, they got to get after these, these games, at least on paper, they're supposed to win. I think it's going to be crucial for them not to drop some of those games. Uh, what are you looking for uh, as the season plays out? Sense of urgency every day. You know, starting with game one, there has to be a sense of urgency every game. I've been going back and forth about how many games I think this team is going to win this season. And I've come to my determination that I'm going to give them 49 games. I'm not going to give them quite 50 games yet. And I think that that's so coach uh, of you. I, well, here's the thing. Until they show me they can stop wasting 10 to 12 possessions a game against the quality teams in the Western Conference, I can't put them in that 50-win threshold. Talent-wise, do they have a 50-win team? Yes. But I just worry about all the wasted possessions when you play the Clippers multiple times, Golden State multiple times, Denver. They don't do that. And so, you know, I think the bench will get them over the hump against – the young teams, but the wasted possessions worry me. And so in a really stacked West and also a stacked East, uh, really one through eight, the East is very top heavy. Um, I'm going to go with 49 games. And if they want to get to 50, they got to show it to me by playing mature basketball. Well, I like it. I'm, I'm an emotional reactionary. So I'm going with 53 wins because that's how I get down. (laughs) Um, with that, we're going to wrap for this this n- podcast number two of the Coach and the Crooner. Super producer, hit that track. Wednesday night. We, we want to say uh, good luck to our squad, Minnesota Timberwolves. We want to say good luck to uh, Richfield Basketball Squad and Coach Centwale with their season coming up also, for that matter. But uh, we're going to close with uh, the funky track. We want to say special thanks to 
John Strawberry Fields for collaborating us, with us on the uh, our theme song. And uh, always a special, special thanks to super producer Lloyd Leon. Doesn't we'll happen without time. him. We'll see you next time on The Coach and the Cooney, y'all. We out.